the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. Uh, remember, did I do that in two octaves? Sorry. As we head into Hour 3 uh, on this um, February 17th, I knew there were two people I needed to talk to today. Last hour we talked to William Bennett, and uh, this hour we're talking to uh, Dr. Tevi Troy, presidential and cultural historian, author of several books, most recently Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. When I learned of Russia's passing, one of the things that dawned on me was how much of, among so many other venues, how much of an impact Rush Limbaugh had not only on the culture but on the presidency and the culture of the presidency. And Tevi, um, you, uh, you have a few things that are your stock in trade that people know. Um, one of them is book reviews. One of them is memorializing people at the end of the year that we lost. And I knew that um, when you write December's column of this year, the first name you're going to be writing about will be the man who we lost today, Rush Limbaugh. And I just knew I wanted to talk to you on the radio today. So thanks for making yourself available. Thanks for having me, Seth. And I'm flattered to be considered, along with Dr. Bennett, as one of the people you should talk to on, uh, on today's sad day. Yeah, yeah. Well, it made sense for a lot of reasons because um, your cultural um, background and his personal relationship with Rush. Um, I met Rush. I don't know if you met him, but I know that he was, um, you know, as big and loomed as large in the conservative movement as anyone, probably second only. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say at least over the last generation, 30 years, second only to William Buckley, I think, and maybe maybe eclipsing him over the last 20 years, maybe. But anyway, your thoughts on uh, initial thoughts, and then we'll dig a little deeper. Yeah, a couple of things. So first of all, um, while I will indeed mention Russia in my column next year on conservatives we lost, I will also mention George Shultz. So yep. it's right. you know we're only a month into the year right. and uh, we've already lost two two right. titans. Right. Uh, but Rush was hugely influential on the conservative movement. He created this sphere of radio talk show of which we are on this platform right now. Right. And it wasn't a thing right. before Rush Lobo. Right, he fact, invented it. Was, it seen as right. weird right. that somebody would talk about conservative ideas on the radio. Mm-hmm. And it was so necessary because there were so few platforms for conservatives to get their message out. This is pre-internet. Right. We had... Pre-Fox had News, TV. pre-internet. This is hugely right. important. Pre-Fox right. News, CBS, pre-internet, NBC, pre-everything. ABC, right. and they just gave right. the prevailing liberal views. Right. And there was nowhere, right. unless you were a serious reader, where you could get other points of view. And Rush Limbaugh went out there and he... <laughs> he gave these other points of view, and people were just shocked to hear it. And uh, I got to say, early on, I uh, I knew that uh, my my wife to be Cammy was something special, and she told me she was a Rush Limbaugh listener. So uh, you know, it was a that, and that runs against well. that runs against type a little bit, doesn't it? In a way, because who would think that you know genteel women would be listening to Rush? But that was a huge part of his audience too, right? Well, I like to joke that Cammy was the only single Jewish woman in America who voted for Bob Dole in 1996. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Kind of a null set there. Uh, 
But, That's but, like Bill yeah, Bennett's yeah. story. Can I tell it real quick? Please. When Ronald Reagan got elected and someone told him they had to have a chairman of the National Endowment for the Humanities, he said, so they did a nationwide search to find a professor of the humanities that had voted yeah. for Ronald Reagan, and there were three of them at the time. <laughs> <laughs> One of them hated Lincoln, so he got the gig. <laughs> okay, sorry. Same thing, though, right? Same idea, well, right? Well, the Lincoln hater got closer yeah. than we would have liked. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. Anyway, it's a day for memories. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So Rush creates the, this platform. It's at the very end, the tail end of the Reagan presidency, so it doesn't really have an impact on Reagan. Right. But there's this new president, George H.W. Bush, not trusted by conservatives. Mm-hmm. He gains their trust by saying, read my lips, no new taxes. But then he violates that pledge right. and is in, is in, in bad situation with conservatives. He's, he's on the rocks with conservatives. And George H.W. Bush actively cultivates Rush Limbaugh yeah. to try and win those conservatives for the crucial 1992 election. Mm-hmm. He has Rush come to the White House, stay in the Lincoln bedroom. Bush even carries Rush's bags into the White House as a sig- signal of his his support for Rush or his, his belief in Rush. And um, and and Rush is in, in the end supportive of Bush in the 1992 election. Bush does not win the election, but it's clear they were thinking about him as part of their political strategy. So I probably started listening to Rush right around then, 91, 92. My memory is, unless someone wants to contradict it, because Rush, one of the trademarks of Rush, I actually mentioned this in my monologue, is he did most of his radio without guests. Very occasionally would he have a guest. Very occasionally. But my memory is he had Bush and Quayle on quite a bit in 92. That's my memory, yeah. anyway. Yeah, I think the, the no guests thing uh, became more of a hard and fast rule later, yeah. although he would have George W. Bush on yep. in the White House. And this is something that the And Mike w. Pence Bush and Donald Trump, of course, right? right. Yep. Right. I mean, they really, both of those administrations really cultivated Russia and worked very hard to get his support. You know, with George W. Bush, there's a study that showed that in that 2000 race where Bush is against John McCain and both are vying to be the nominee, and McCain's doing pretty well early on, but Bush really cultivated Rush and, in fact, had went to visit Rush's mother's house in southeastern Missouri while he was on the campaign trail. No kidding. And Bush, uh, Rush came along, supported Bush, and there was a study that showed that people who listened to Rush once a week, as much as once a week, or as little as once a week, were 45% more likely to vote for George W. Bush than John McCain. No kidding. Yep. No kidding. Wow. Wow. Um, and it, so it really had an impact, and, and Bush won that nomination, but it was, it was, a, it was a close-run thing, as you recall. It was not obvious that after... Uh, uh, after Iowa and New Hampshire, that um, you know Bush Bush wins Iowa, but he loses New Hampshire, and it's not clear that Bush is going to win that nomination. And uh, and, and McCain didn't win in the end, but uh, but Russia's support was very important there. You were in the George W. Bush administration at several levels, uh, at several um, not several, but a couple of different levels. And I don't know if you knew this; you probably did. Um, but at one point, I remember when the Bush White House brought in a meeting with the president exclusively of national radio hosts. Bill Bennett had a radio show at the time, so he was there. Mark Levin was there. Laura Ingram was there. Um, I think probably Mike Gallagher and a few others, maybe Sean Hannity, I can't think of. And I remember thinking at the time, this is maybe 2006, I think getting ready for the midterms maybe. I remember thinking at the time, this is new in history that the president, a president, a president would bring in 
you know, they used to bring in, I don't know, do they still have the practice of bringing in the heads of the three major networks before the State of the Union and briefing them on that? I don't know if they still do that. But I thought it, this it was, was the anchors of yeah, CBS, yeah, NBC, yeah. NBC News. Yeah. But I thought this was new. And, of course, that would have been a rush creation as well. Right? Yeah, and, and Kevin Sullivan, who was a uh, Bush communications aide and a friend of mine, talks in his oral history in the, uh, in the Bush archives he talks about how this was a conscious strategy. And they talked about, he, he even mentioned, it was kind of interesting, he mentioned how Obama used to get criticized for going on the um, late-night talk show host right. and the kind of comedy shows. Right. And he said, we would have done that if we could have, but they, they weren't open to us. Right? The liberal Hollywood elites don't want to hear George W. Bush. So they went where they, they were welcome, and they went to these radio hosts, and they treated all these radio hosts with great respect. They brought them into the Oval. But Sullivan notes in that oral history that among them all, he treated Rush with the most respect sure. and actually gave him two one-on-ones sure. with President Bush, sure. which when everybody else was getting a group meeting. Sure. Well, it makes sense. Did Rush know that, do we think? I, maybe that maybe that's an unfair question. But I wonder if Rush knew when he went national in 1988, if he knew that he was he was doing the answer to the liberal media or if he I, I, I he grew into it, certainly, if he didn't know it when he started. But it is a fascinating thing to think about how vast the conservative communications uh, are these days from the Internet to the blogosphere to innumerable websites and magazines. That just it, it was not there. He was all alone, all alone. Right. Yeah, I don't think he knew. And look, Rush clearly, in his honor persona, had an ego. Uh, there's no doubt. Well, that, that was yes, that was part of the charm, but, I think. In but a way. there was also yeah. a humility right. in that he was just so impressed that he would actually build personal relationships with the George Bush family. Yeah. And he talks about what an honor it is and how it was really touching to him to have his mother's house in southeastern Missouri visited by mm-hmm. George W. Bush mm-hmm. and staying over in the White House, how much that meant to him. So th- there was a... Kind of a you know small town guy saying, "How am I here playing with the big guys?" Obviously, he definitely had that ego thing going on on the air, and he talked about how great he was and one time tied behind his back and all that stuff. But he also had very humble, relatively humble origins and, and recognized it. Sure, 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 sure. When we cut, can you say a little bit? When we come back, sure. can you talk about? Um Something kind of interesting, which is how much he got into the heads of other presidents. That's a kind of interesting. Especially Democrats. Yeah, especially Democrats. We'll be right back with historian Tevi Troy, his most recent book, Fight House, Rivalries from the White House, in the White House from Truman to Trump. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We're remembering uh, – it's a funny thing because, you, 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 you know, the words fail. You really have to plumb, plumb, a, plumb a thesaurus to get to the right words. You would normally – I was about to say we're remembering the giant Rush Limbaugh. But, you know, it, even the word giant doesn't, doesn't quite suit or fit the, um, the degree to which um, he traipsed the Welkin ring of communications and conservatism. We're doing it with Dr. Tevi Troy, a social and presidential historian. His most recent book, Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. Um, but author of other books which are interesting and may be applicable too, including Intellectuals in the American Presidency and 
what Jefferson read, Ike watched, and Obama tweeted 200 years of popular culture in the White House. And the reason I raise that, right, Tevi, is because Rush, as a cultural figure, as a political figure, as a communicator, he really got into the heads of Democratic presidents, didn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, there is a meeting at the Clinton White House after the 1994, or after the Clinton health care bill is defeated before the 1994 election. But the Democrats were kind of flummoxed. They thought they ran Washington. They thought they were going to get their way. And Clinton and Vice President Al Gore are meeting with a bunch of Democratic congressmen. And this guy, William Sarpalian, who was a congressman from Texas, who actually would lose in 1994's Gingrich Revolution, he said that what you, your guy's mistake was that you underestimated Rush. And he just used his first name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of shock, like Rush Limbaugh, is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they, they were they were flummoxed by it. And, and there was another study, interesting sh- study, that showed that among congressional aides, where they were getting their information on health care, and 46% said they were getting it from Rush Limbaugh, only 15% from the New York Times. No kidding. No. So he, he really was having a huge impact, and he was uh, getting in Hillary Clinton's head. Milan Verveer, who was her chief of staff, said that uh, Rush had said on air, Whitewater is health care, and health care is Whitewater. And they, you know, they were paying attention. They were paying attention to what, what Rush Limbaugh said. And then Clinton has a chance to lash back at Rush after the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. And he talks about people who are purveying paranoia on the air. And he does not mention Rush by name intentionally. And in fact, when his aides are asked about it, they simply said, no, no, we're not talking about Rush. But it was clear. Everybody knew it in the New York Times article. The subject said, well, you know, he's he's blaming Rush for Oklahoma City. So Clinton kind of dipped his toe in the water of blaming Rush, but was careful not to mention his name. I'm trying to remember if it was Clinton or Obama. I think Clinton, it might have been Obama, who said how, uh, said something about the unfairness that someone like Rush gets three hours of uninterrupted uh, time to uh, criticize him. And someone like Britt Hume said, are you kidding me? You're the president of the United <laughs> States, and you're worried about a guy with three hours of radio, right? Um, but that is what Democrat, Democrats did fear, uh, the power of his persuasion. And if I can go back to kind of a theme of um, one of your books, Intellectuals and the American Presidency, because this is this is interesting to me, and you know, I straddle it, you straddle it in our in our in our uh, in our professions, Tevi, mutual professions, which is the ability to communicate um, ideas that translate um, beyond the um, beyond the um, the faculty lounges, if you will. And Rush was the master of it. And as I was remembering with Bill Bennett in the last hour, you know, people who had a lot of credentials for whatever that's worth, like William Buckley, like Bill Bennett, they loved Rush. They loved him and was were friendly with him. This college dropout, you know, from Cape Girardeau, Missouri. They loved what he could do with their ideas. And that's a gift that's super rare but super important too, right? Yeah, and there's another side to it because – Yes, there were some great intellectuals, great thinkers who thought very highly of him. But at the same time, you had Rush, who was really willing to go after the pretentiousness yeah. of the yeah. academy. Yeah. And in fact, he's a, um, a forgotten hero in the initial fight against political correctness right. in the early 1990s, when right. he's making fun of all the insanity right. of calling uh, women W-Y-M-Y-N, so you don't have the, right. the letters M-E-N in the word. Uh-huh. And uh, he... I mean, he 
he really used political correctness as, as one of his, his big issues in, in the early days and talking about how, how silly and nonsensical it was. Dennis Prager today said Rush had political perfect pitch. He said as a musician, I guess Dennis is a bit of an amateur musician, and he said musicians know what perfect pitch is. It means you can hit, <coughs> hit a note, pick your instrument, trumpet, piano, whatever you want, and someone with per- perfect pitch can tell you what that note is. He said Rush had perfect political pitch. He could understand a political point and moment better than anyone else he ever knew, Dennis said about him. And when something was a good idea, he knew it. And when it was a bad idea, he knew it. And his instincts were almost never wrong. That might be right. That might be right. We've all had, you know, made huge mistakes and predictions and guesses about certain moments or policy ideas. And say what you want about Rush, love him or hate him. Um, he, he understood politics perhaps better than any other political consultant of, you know, reputation. You know, he, he, he had he had an ear for it that was unlike any other. Yeah, well, let me push back a little bit here because he did make mistakes. I mean, there are things he said that he was uh, forced to apologize for. But you know what? He was willing to apologize when, when he made a mistake. And I think that's part of having, if not perfect pitch, good pitch. When, when, you, when, when you overstep, you're willing to say, you know, hey, that's nah, fair. I made a mistake. That, that's a fair point. I saw Andrew Sullivan gave him some credit today when Rush was early on hard on, um, hard on the community suffering from AIDS. He said Rush didn't let it last long, and he, he pulled back on that and retracted it. And um, that, would be, that would be perhaps an example or at least an example of sensitivity. Right, maybe. Right, and there was that woman at Georgetown, and I think yep. it was Sandra Fluke, yep. who was yep. pushing for yep. free contraceptives, yep. and yep. he went after her personally. And she yep. was a young woman, and he pulled back and yep. recognized that that was not the right thing yep. to do. Yep, yep, absolutely. The ability to do that as well. Um, well, it, 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 it leaves a vacuum that you can't that can't ever be filled. And one of the interesting things I noticed, Tevi, when I was working in national radio was when we had guest hosts, you know, men who um, you may not have heard of, I hadn't heard of, who were, you know, what would you call them, journeyman radio hosts? Is that a fair thing? You know, that their job was filling in for, you know, the guy. Like substitute teachers of the radio. Yeah, exactly. Substitute teachers of the radio. It's very obvious that what they were trying to do was rush when they had their day. They had their three hours. And they and it never worked, and they never became known, you know. Um, yeah. Sweet so, generous. So it's sweet you generous. say that he's um, he filled a vacuum. Yeah. Uh, hold hold that thought. Truth. I, I got to take yeah. the musical the yeah. um, musical okay. and commercial break. Uh, can you hold that thought and do the filling Absolutely. of the vacuum on the other side? Yeah. Great. We'll be right back with more from Dr. Tevi Troy, presidential and cultural historian, author of many books. Most recently, Fight House: Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump, which, by the way, is a great book, easy um, easy uh, reading and smart reading and fun reading. You can do it um, in a day or two. It's a great, great, great presidential history. Fight House by Tevi Troy, T-R-O-Y. We'll be right back. Portions of this show are brought to you by Balance of Nature. You are what you eat, of course, is an old saying. It's an old saying because it's true. And Balance of Nature helps fill that void with all-natural vine-ripened fruits and veggies picked at the peak of ripeness 
reduced into vegetarian capsules using their unique cold press process. If you don't like swallowing vegetarian capsules, so easy to just open them up and sprinkle them on water or food, soup, cottage cheese, other fruit, you name it. But with one daily dose, you get tens of thousands of vital nutrients, 31 different fruits and veggies, all powerful, potent stuff from apples to papaya, from garlic and cayenne pepper to wheatgrass and kale. I take it every day. It's kept me healthy for over a year since I've been taking it, and I can't commend it to you strongly enough. They make it easy for you with a great deal where they give you free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-2468-751 or go to, excuse me, visit them online at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Delighted to have with us presidential and cultural historian Tevi Troy talking about the uh, legacy impact and import of uh, Rush Limbaugh. Tevi, you were right before the break, you were saying something about filling a void or vacuum. Yeah, so Rush fills this void that doesn't exist. There's no one making the conservative case on the airwaves in a way that, that broadcasting to lots of people, including millions and millions of people. But the interesting thing is that now there's such a wide swath of these conservative radio talk shows that, that Rush himself could never fill it. There's, there's so many people who've come in his place, his children and his grandchildren, and even his great-grandchildren in terms of the new radio hosts, are such a phenomenon. They're, they're everywhere. Obviously, Rush was the primus inter Paris. He was the greatest among all of them. But there's so much more of a universe of these people, including Youssef and including the person who worked for Dr. Bennett, that it really it has so much more impact, and, and he's responsible for it. But, you know, obviously he couldn't do all those shows. He couldn't fill out all that airtime. But he is the one who led to this creation of this phenomenon. You know, you make a, a, an important point that hadn't occurred to me. And if you watch the tributes to him or read the tributes to him, you will hear what you said, what I've said, what Dr. Bennett said, what we've all said, which is he saved AM radio. With what you're saying, though, Tevi, the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, he might have saved conservatism. Oh, yeah. In fact, after Bush loses in 1992, conservatives are bereft. And Mary Madeline, who is a Bush advisor, said um, the only thing holding us together was Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Right. And Rush does galvanize and lead the support. Uh, of the uh, Gingrich Revolution and, and the opposition to the Clinton health care bill, and he's successful in, in that regard. And also back, back in, in 2009, after Obama wins, conservatives aren't sure what to do. Should they work with Obama on the stimulus package? And Rush goes out there, and he leads the charge, and he says, we're, you know, we're opposed to Obama, we're opposed to liberalism, and uh, that's just not where we are. And uh, that had an impact, too. And, and you know, we mentioned um, getting in the president's head. He was clearly in Obama's yep. head as well, because Obama would, would criticize him also and just talk about uh, uh, Limbaugh and the problems of Limbaugh. So they were paying attention to him, even if they weren't agreeing. Right, right. And, 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 and when you think about how important talk radio has become as a result of this, I mean, you know, major cities now have three stations probably, three conservative talk stations, sometimes four. I think Phoenix may have, well, I won't even get into it here, but three or four stations. Only one that matters, though. Right, right, right. That's why I didn't want to get into it, but <laughs> cardinal rule. <laughs> but, uh, but right, the major cities, the major markets have three and four, and as you point out, that didn't exist, and it is an amazing thing. Maybe you could say something about this in the next segment because we're going into a break. There's still... 
you know, Buckley liked Rush, Reagan liked Rush, Bennett liked Rush, but there's still this thing, this elitist thing in the left about discounting talk radio. It's a, it's an odd thing. The newspapers and the and the elites in the media, they don't give it much credit. If 60 Minutes ever did a story on Rush, it was a hit piece, you know? They would they 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 would never cite these guys who had the ear, right? They had the ear of the conservative movement. I say in my book uh, American Greatness, I said you know the one group that predicted it against all others in 2016 was talk radio because they actually listened to Americans and what's on Americans' minds. But might you talk a little bit about the elitism and the the kind of moral squint, if you will, or the elitist squint that's given to talk radio when we come back. Just a word or two on that, and I think undeservedly, but you tell me. Can we do that? Absolutely. I've got a perfect quote for you. Oh, great, great, great. We'll be right back with historian Dr. Tevi Troy. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, really privileged to have with us... Uh, Dr. Tevi Troy, historical and uh, cultural, uh, uh, well, I, I should say presidential and cultural historian would probably be the better way to, to do that. His most recent book, Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. Something about this venue, um, this, 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 um, this medium, Tevi, uh, of talk radio um, that brought out from the elites – uh, how do you say a profanum vulgus, right? Uh, I hate the vulgar crowd. Um, they think of us as vulgar and not worth paying attention to. But it represents and rush, you know, using the works of great intellectuals and creating this this medium and this venue really, really uh, did more. You know, how, how did Bill say it? He was the Gutenberg of the conservative movement or at least the Gutenberg of the conservative intellectual movement. But there is still a um, kind of a an arrogant or elitist moral squint other media show to talk radio, don't they? Or reveal to talk radio. Yeah, I, I promise on the other side I had a great quote on, on this. Yeah. And uh, Ted Kennedy in his oral history said this again. Just listen to, A, the condescension, but B, the, the flat-out falseness of what he's saying. Right. And this is the quote. I don't know what the programming is down in New Orleans, down in Louisiana. They don't get meet the press. They don't get face the nation. They just get Fox, Rush Limbaugh. They get that part. They don't get the other things. They don't get the New York Times. It's not distributed down there. That's what they get, and it's just unbelievable. It's not good. Well, let's just say, I mean, it's Start, do that again, man. That's base. huge. Do that again. Do that again. It's worth it. And who said this? Ted Kennedy. Do it yeah, again. Do know, it again. Do it again. Harvard. Okay. I don't know what the programming is down in New Orleans, down in Louisiana. They don't get meet the press. They don't get face the nation. They just get Fox, Rush Limbaugh, comma, they get that part. They don't get the other things. They don't get the New York Times. It's not distributed down there. That's what they get, and it's just unbelievable. It's not good. Wow. wow. Now, of course you get Face the Nation and meet of the press in Louisiana. <laughs> I don't know what he's even thinking about. Yeah, right. And I'm sure you can get a copy of the New York Times in in New Orleans, because I've been there and I've gotten it. <laughs> so it's just insane that he says that. But that is how much rush was in their heads, and that's how condescending they were. And they, they think it's not good that people get to hear an alternative point of view. He's mad that Rush actually defeated him. He didn't win his big health care bill in, in the 90s. He obviously, he ended up getting it in the, in the late 2000s. But um, 
but he was stymied by Russian, frustrated by Russian, and it led to them to lashing out with things that are just on their face false. You don't get to beat the press in Louisiana. I don't even know what he's talking about. Right. I don't either. But Ted Kennedy had Rush in his head because Rush, I remember this well, actually. Rush took on Ted Kennedy um, in a way that was uh, notable, uh, distinctive, and... Um, uh, with a lot of effort, uh, in a way that no other medium would, you know, a lot of a lot of, uh, about Ted Kennedy and people may forget how powerful he was. He was extremely powerful, the lion of the Senate, at least in the Democratic Party. And everyone knew things about Ted Kennedy that were not supposed to be said, whether you want to go back to 1969 or even the stuff that uh, that uh, Michael Kelly was writing about uh, in the 80s and 90s. It's just that they would never be said about Ted Kennedy because there was, what would you call it, a gentleman's agreement or something? But Rush did. I would call it a liberal's agreement. A liberal gentleman's <laughs> agreement. But Rush did. No, I, re- I reject gentlemen. I okay. say liberal. Fair enough. Fair enough. A, a left-wing liberal media agreement. But Rush did. Rush went there. And that had to have mattered to him. That had to have gotten in his head because he broke that taboo. You want to you want to go after conservatives and everything in their in their in their in their closets? Fine, we're going to do we're going to show you how we can play this game too. And that too was new, at least to yeah, the left. And, and let me just say because you're being a little delicate about I this. Am. I mean, Ted Kennedy drove off a bridge and let a woman die, Mary Jo Kopechny, in Chappaquiddick in 1969. And then also Ted Kennedy was famously having affairs all the time and was cheating on his wife constantly and was... Uh, you and know, with staffers. Of, uh, yeah. and, right, right. And, you know, a, a character of low morals. Right. And Rush called him out on it. And, and everybody knew it, but people thought you shouldn't talk about right. it. Well, Rush said, well, let's talk about it. This guy is trying to reshape the country, trying to reshape our way of life. Right. And nobody calls him out on what he does. They're going to do this to Clarence Thomas. They're going to do this to, yeah, exactly. We're going to show you how we can play this game, too. It's a game that um, it's, it's, you know, it's unfortunate in, in so many respects, but <clears throat> he had he had that breaking of the mold ability to do it. And he did it, too, with humor. You know, Air America lasted, I don't know, not very long. This was the liberal was version. Five minutes. About five minutes. And it had all the glossy New York Times magazine uh, promotional material, stories about it. What a great thing. Liberals will now have their their response to Rush Limbaugh with Air America. Al Franken. Who were the other ones that were famous on there? I don't remember. Mark Maron, I think, and that actress. What's her name? But in any event, it lasted about five minutes. You're right, Jenny Garofalo. Yeah, 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 Jenny Garofalo. And it lasted about five minutes because they were humorless. And what Rush showed was that you could have fun doing this too, or should. Yeah, they were humorless and unnecessary. Right. Why oh, oh that's a go good point. Yeah, yeah, radio. unnecessary. Right, right, right. Right. Why do I need to go to liberal talk radio when I could just hear the you know Dan Rather on the CBS Evening right. News? Right. You know, why do I need right. a, a liberal perspective when I could read the New York Times right. front page, let alone the editorial page? Right. Right. So they, they were they weren't filling a need, and Rush filled a need. And then he felt he filled one last thing which was in the day when all we had was the Wall Street Journal editorial page, maybe Commentary National, but basically as a daily, all we had was the Wall Street Journal. You know, we got a lot of other venues over time, but if Rush read your article in one of those other venues, man, was that an accelerant. Man, was that gasoline on the fire. And and, and, and I was privileged that he did read my stuff more than once. Right, you and I have had that experience, privilege, and honor. And um, it goes to his reach, but you wouldn't have reach without credibility, right? 
and yeah. I, in fact, I, if I can quickly tell the story sure. of uh, one of the times he read my pieces, uh, Leon Panetta was picked to be the head of the CIA. Uh-huh. And in one of my earlier books, Intellectuals of the American Presidency, I point out that Leon Panetta was the considered one of the most likely sub suspects to have leaked a famous memo called the Moynihan right, Memo right. in 1970 about right, race. Right. And I just said, Republican staffers, you should ask Leaky Leon, is he the one who leaked to that memo? Ask him on the record yeah. when you have him in, 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 in a congressional hearing. And uh, Rush read it on the air. It was quite flattering. Tevi, thank you. Tevi Troy. His most recent book, folks, it's, it's, it's really fun and smart, too. Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. Thanks for spending some of your, your afternoon with us, Tevi. Thanks for having me, and uh, R.I.P. Rush Limbaugh. You bet. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. There's no good way I I can't think of, uh, especially to close the show in a tribute to Mr. Rush Limbaugh, except... I think maybe a poem that I couldn't get out of my head. We talked about it yesterday a little bit that I think might have meant something to Rush, too. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for the doubting, too, if you can wait, not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on the turn of pitch and toss, and lose, and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, but not lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more. You'll be a man, my son. There are tears for passing things. Rest in peace, Mr. Limbaugh.